quintessential solar noise. Sound, <laughs> sound of clean energy when it makes a sound. Right. I'm on the roof with Orion Thornton of Onsite Energy. And he's just placed uh, panel number 21 of 22 on a solar array that hopefully is going to provide all the electricity, at least on an annual basis, that this house will need with its new all-electric systems. Yeah, hello. Sunny day here in, in Missoula. Hopefully getting this system turned on and exciting to think about it producing 100% of the electricity for the for Rick and Amy here. Hello and welcome back to Breaking the Carbon Bond, the how-to podcast for freeing yourself from fossil fuels and becoming part of the clean energy transition. This is Season 1, The House of the Future, Episode 6, Intro to Home Solar. The clip we opened with was recorded in the fall of 2022 when the PV array was being installed on our roof. Orion Thornton, whom you heard fastening solar panels there, is a solar industry stalwart and leader of many years, and he agreed to come on the podcast and share his advice about getting started with your own home solar system, as well as his thoughts about the future of making clean energy from sunshine. Today's podcast will feature our talk with him in his office at Onsite Energy. It runs a little over an hour, but it's well worth the time if you're planning to install solar panels on your own house. If you're not quite that far along and you just want the condensed version, Orion summarizes his recommendations for homeowners near the end of the podcast. We're talking with Orion Thornton, who's the co-owner of Onsite Energy. Uh, Onsite installs solar systems here in Montana, everything from small-scale home systems to big industrial systems. He's also the co-owner of Onsite Storage, which uses batteries to uh, work with utilities and big energy users to incorporate battery storage into the grid. Um, today, we're hoping Orion is going to summarize for us everything that you need to know for the process of uh, putting a PV solar array on your house as part of your home electrification process. Um, for people who are trying to get to net zero with an all-electric house, we'll ask Orion questions about that. How much you need, how do you calculate it, how much do you need to know before you call him or another solar installer. And uh, hopefully by the time this discussion is done, you'll feel ready to, uh, to approach the process of, of getting solar panels on your house. All right, Orion, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'll start with a little background on myself. I, I grew up off-grid here in Montana. I think that was kind of the, the real catalyst for me to move into this, this industry. You know, when you grow up off-grid, you just inherently have to have uh, a little more thought into your resources that you have. You know, if you're, if you're hauling water from the well to your house, you're going to use it wisely when you get it in there. And you know when you're cutting firewood and um, you know using that for heat, you're gonna you're gonna use it wisely also. And so um, I feel fortunate to have been raised that way. Just um, I think it gave me a little bit of a perspective on on energy in a lot of ways, and, and um, you know how much energy it really requires for us to live within our comforts on a on a day to day basis. So um, and then my my solar career. Um, you know, didn't start until my 20s at some point when I kind of 
um, decided to not be a ski bum anymore and <laughs> figure out something and um, I started taking some some courses this was in 2002 you know and it was it was clear to me that solar was really the path forward for as a career you know like it was gonna take off like I just you could feel it the buzz was there you know because up to that point it had really been pretty primarily you know off-grid um, kind of stuff and the grid tie kind of you know homes and businesses and utility scale stuff was really just kind of starting to develop um, and so from there I decided to go do a, a two-year degree it was like a technical degree down San Juan College in New Mexico that was specific to solar electric design installation so that was a real nice way to really get the core skills to get into the industry and got hired on by independent power systems out of, out of Bozeman and that was a great great starting point for me and I, I worked for them um, from 2006 to 2012 and then started Onsite Energy. Uh, you know my goal with Onsite Energy was just to really uh, I guess focus really on the Montana market um, at that time the company I was working for had kind of had other branches other places and um, I really wanted to make sure I was focused on Montana and what could be achieved here. Um, so yeah Onsite Energy it's been 10 years now in business and um, you know, we have, we have 20 plus people, um, we do about 90 residential projects a year and, um, you know, anywhere from a dozen to 20 commercial projects. Uh, last year was about two, two megawatts, having a lot of fun with it overall. Cool. Um, it, since you brought up wind, maybe let's jump back just for a minute and talk about why solar crushed wind as far as home electricity generation. Um, there might be people out there saying, well, we live in a windy spot. Maybe I could just put up a windmill. Um, yeah. Why is solar working out, basically dominating the market for, yeah. for especially home installations? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it really primarily came down to economics there in like the late 2000s, um, where when, when the solar photovoltaic panel manufacturing kind of really kicked off globally um, just to the next level there and, and which drove the prices down when someone was looking at just a cost comparison of producing a certain amount of kilowatt hours a year with solar or wind um, when factoring in maintenance and you know kind of all the the life cycle cost of it it was just a, a clear winner in solar right Unfortunately, what did happen there is that it, it really put a lot of small wind, residential size wind turbine companies out of business. And so um, now since then, there's just not really been any viable products. Because wind can be still be a really good um, option, particularly for folks living off-grid, because it's a good complement to the solar. In winter, you know, it counteracts the, the low solar resource here in Montana in the winter. So it, it you know... It's, it's been a little unfortunate overall that that happened to its small wind because it could have probably continued moving forward and developing better products, but then it just got stalled out and now there's really not any products. So so that's where it stands. I mean, we we kind of deal and maintain with a couple wind turbines out there for off-grid folks, but like we, we haven't sold a new wind system in over a decade. Okay. Yeah. So mostly can't compete on a cost basis. So... You know, you're dealing with homeowners all the time, people who call you up, and it, you, my guess is you get a range from people who are kind of already energy geeks and know exactly what size system they want to 
people who call you up and say, my neighbor did solar panels, can I do it too? Um, and have to be educated all along the way. So for the folks that are, that are real newbies, what would you say to educate them, get them ready for approaching and selecting amongst bids from different solar installers, really knowing sort of what they want? Yep. What's PV 101, if you will? Yeah, well, the first thing we always like to put forth to people is solar's great, obviously, a big advocate, but, you know, what What have you done just efficiency-wise for your home, you know? Um, that's, so we always like to remind people that um, starting out, you know, and, and I would say, probably say majority of folks, you know, coming to us thinking about solar haven't done a real thorough thought process on, like, where they can save energy and that's and that's fine you know like that it's we just it's a good thing to remind people right that for us we've we're so busy with our solar work and it's just you know it takes so much to maintain the expertise there such as fast changing industry that we've never as a business thought about or, or engaged too much in like energy audits or being that you know really guiding people on the energy efficiency side of things and to be honest with you, it's, it feels like something that's always been a little lacking out there in the industry. You know, like it would be great if there's more consultants that we could send people to. A lot of times it just kind of gets put on the homeowner, you know, like, well, yeah, you need to kind of do your research and figure out, you know, on the energy efficiency side of things. So that's, you know, we, we, we do our best. I mean, we, we do know about energy, obviously, but um, and conservation, but like, there's only so much we can do there. So people got to expect when they're contacting a, a solar company that, they're, they're not going to get that much consultation on the efficiency side of things, likely. Yeah, and I think, sadly, that's probably the, if not the biggest, one of the biggest areas we're lacking in as we look at this mm-hmm. electrification, yeah. broad-scale transition of the economy, is enough energy auditors to do yes. that kind of work. I think most people are going to have to do it on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a push toward, it looked like energy auditing might be a real viable business maybe 20 years ago, and people found that no one was willing to pay for their services. It was just really hard to have a business like that. Yeah. Most of them are gone now, and the few that are around, uh, I think, will be overwhelmed if, if people start calling them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to, to do that work these days, I think it's not just about the energy conservation analysis but you really got to be well versed in the technologies that then can come into play you know so it's it's a it's a kind of broader scope these days you know just so people understand that there is usually some base audits that utility companies might do for you yeah you can usually get some level of energy auditing for free by calling up your local utility so we do recommend that to people and then you know we just like to know what people's goals are so that's something you know they want to be thinking about you know when they're when they're kind of sitting at home thinking like oh yeah my neighbor just got solar or, you know I heard a friend did it or, or they've just known about the technology for a long time and you know they feel like now's the time for them to look into it whatever their situation um, you know I think it's best for them to just kind of start by like well why you know like why am I doing this like what's my goals right because we there's there's a wide spectrum these days of of folks who are looking at solar, why they're doing it, what got them to that point. Whereas when I first got in the industry is very much what we call early adopters. You know, they were they were just committed True believers. True believers and, you know, 
they were spending a premium to do it because that was before, you know, the prices really dropped on the equipment. And, but that's just shifted. I mean, you know, it's like you just get a whole spectrum of people. But regardless of, you know, who you are, I think just kind of thinking about your goals because that's going to help the, when you start contacting solar contractors and you kind of have that in mind already, you can communicate to them. That's going to help them with their sales and design process, right? Like what, what are they trying to achieve for you? And then, you know, there's, there's kind of some, there's always going to be, you know, some technical kind of integration considerations of how it's going to fit into your home, like where the panels are going to be located on the roof or on the ground. And that stuff, you know, folks don't need to worry about too much up front. You know, they, they're going to be leaning on the, the solar companies that they're getting quotes from to really like give them feedback on that stuff. But it's still good for them to think about because they, in particular for like even aesthetic things, right? Like is it, are they happy with their solar panels being visible from the street or are they not? You know, like just some, some things like that of how it's going to impact their property and, and, and if they, how they feel about that because that's also going to help when they go to the, to get quotes, you know. Um, and then there's going to be the more technical stuff like what kind of solar access do they have, shading issues from trees, uh, you know, the tilt and orientation of the roof spaces and things like that. And that's really where, you know, that's the, where the professional comes in and says, well, yeah, you got this roof, but it's really shaded. Let's look at this one, you know. Um, so they don't need to kind of worry much about that stuff, but know that, like, they're going to have to engage in that one way or another, you know, to yeah. make final decision on the design. How big a penalty is that? Somebody who's uh, maybe got a ranch-style house that's oriented north-south. And yeah, good question. Probably somewhere between um, 15 to 20% loss. And, you know, the, the angle, tilt angle of the roof is a factor in that, right? If it's a, if it's a lower tilt angle facing west, it's going to do better than a steep tilt angle right. facing west, right? Okay. And so, yeah, say 15 to 20% uh, reduction and... and you know, it used to be when I first got in the industry, if I went into a size assessment and it was all, you know, they didn't have south facing, I'd just be like, sorry, no good. Because the panels were so expensive. Right. You know, and it just like, it, losing that 20% was big on the return on investment, you know, like that, that was a factor. Now it's just like, add 20% more solar panels. Um, another good thing is just, yeah, how long are you going to be in the home? That's a key consideration from a, financial standpoint right and that is mainly to determine whether you're going to be able to get the savings out of this system before you move yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so you know if, if you're if you're moving out of the house in two years your 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 kind of thought process on like the economics of the system is going to be much different is, is that certain that you won't it won't add enough resale value to your house to uh um yeah i think in general there, there's some studies that have been done out there on like from an appraisal perspective, the appraisers don't know what to do with it. Put in a $20,000 solar system, appraiser is not going to come in and say it's worth another 20000 Back to the efficiency thing, like, you know, one of, the, one of the first things you want to have available before you go reach out to solar companies is just your utility bill, right? If, if we're talking grid-tied solar. And that's some some point we should de define the primary residential systems that are out there too. Yeah, yeah, we could just do that now. Yeah, I so. think I think people, most people have kind of three models in their mind when they think of what PV solar is, and one is the off-grid cabin that's got a few light bulbs, 
and a wood stove and a small solar system. On the other end of the spectrum is the big solar farm in the desert that these days everybody has driven past, most people have anyway. And somewhere in the middle is the suburban grid-tide system, which is most of what people listening to the podcast will be interested in, um, meaning you're, you're hooked up to a utility now. You've got those bills, so you can pull them up and see how much energy you use in a year. Um, but if you're getting electricity and gas from your utility, you can convert the gas to an electric equivalent, assuming that you're going to convert everything in your house to electricity and figure out what it would take to offset that, um, that amount of electricity use with, with solar electric generation over the course of a year. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would say the other kind of differentiation in there in terms of, you know, the suburban house or any, any residential application is whether you're just directly tied to the grid, um, and, and you're on typically what's called net metering with the utility company and which allows you to, um, for most of our clients, produce excess energy in the summer, and then that gets applied as credits with the utility company, and then you basically kind of use those credits up through the winter, and ideally at the end of the year you come to the zero point, right? If your you know if your system is sized that way, the other um, you know thing there is is energy storage, right? So that's the grid direct system is like that's that's the primary systems that are being installed, but then. Folks also make decisions to add batteries, and I think we can talk about that a little later here, but that, that's another differentiating point there. Um, and so if folks are thinking batteries, energy storage in their system, there's definitely another level of, of discussion that happens between the homeowner and the solar companies in terms of design and um, energy usage and what they want to back up and for how long. And so if, if you are someone who's really considering that and driven towards that, you just you got to know that like there's going to be quite a bit more back and forth on the design process and the proposal process with the solar company compared to just coming to them and saying, here's my utility bill. What can you do to offset 100% of this with solar? That's just a, from, for us as a company, that's a much easier design process, much easier cost estimating process than when you bring in the energy storage. It's just much more complicated. Than okay, so, so batteries do make things quite a bit more complicated. Yeah, I mean, not to, not to scare anyone about that, like we're experts on it, so you just come to us and we work through it, right? But from, for them, they need to know that like, they're just going to need to be more involved and you know, think more about you know, well, why are they doing battery backup first off, and then what do they want to back up? One thing I want to ask you about and clarify for listeners about the net metering, the upshot of that is there's an incentive not to spend too much on your solar system. If you build one that produces a lot more than, than you use in the course of a year, our utility here and most utilities across the country will just zero you out at the end of the year. You don't get any credit for producing more than you use. So you've, you've spent money on your solar system that, that you won't get back. So one of the things Orion has to do is to have happy customers is sell them a system that comes in just right based over the course of the year offsets all of the, the electricity that they use during that year. Mm-hmm. So yep. ideally you end up with an annual electric bill of, of zero or Actually, you still will pay five dollars a month to be hooked up to the grid. But yeah, I will say after you know being when um, you know I lived in Bozeman for twelve years and and ten years of that 
um, when I first bought my house over there um, in 2008, um, my first thing was to electrify it. I mean, that was just like, that was... That was you were way ahead. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, I mean, I had, a, I had a gas hot water heater and I had a gas furnace. And in Bozeman, and I don't know if it's still the case, but you're able to burn wood in town, so that was a pretty easy choice for me to say, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go solar thermal for my hot water. Um, so hot, solar hot water system, switch the storage tank to electric um, and put in a wood stove and, and to call Northwestern and tell them to turn my natural gas off. <laughs> and then I installed enough solar and, and solar photovoltaics and solar thermal to cover you know 100% of my, my overall usage. And I was always... I was always over and that was a much better feeling than even if you came in just a little under. You know, when I first got in the industry, like hitting 100% was like, whoa, holy cow. Like, I mean, in, in a given year, we might have had like literally a handful of people that were able to achieve net zero. You know, now it's like, I mean, definitely the bulk of our customers are hitting 100%, you know, offset. And when you say they're hitting 100%, are those all electric houses or are they hitting 100% of their electric? Yeah, houses? 100% of their electric, yeah. I mean, we're, you know, the, the kind of all electric movement is primarily happening in new construction, right? Because on a retrofit level, like, it's just going to be, there's going to have to most likely be like, oh, well, my furnace needs to be replaced. I think it's a tough decision, you know, and I, and I think it's, like you don't, you know, you don't, that's the thing with some of this, this conservation stuff. And like, you don't want to necessarily throw out something that's good and working that had a lot of resources that were put in to make it, you know, to replace it with something new and fancy all the time. It's not necessarily the path forward, you know? And so I think that's where on a retrofit level, people who already have gas furnaces or hot water heaters, yeah, I think it's, they're only going to think about switching um, when something needs to be replaced kind of thing. I don't know if you've experienced that a little bit, but... Yeah, it's, uh, you know, at our house, we've, we're have we still sorting it out as we bring yeah. in a heat pump and whether to keep a hybrid system. And we in, a, in an episode on heat pumps, we talked about the fact that most people, even with money from the Inflation Reduction Act, if they put a heat pump in their house, are going to tie it in with an existing furnace. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what I would hope people will do and have encouraged elsewhere on the podcast is make a plan for being fully carbon free even if that means waiting till your furnace is done you know if you're installing solar pv right now either oversize it or make provisions in terms of space on your roof and capacity in the inverter that handles all that electricity um, between your house and the grid that they're big enough that you can upsize later. So yeah. you say 15 years from now, you replace that furnace with electric resistance back up. Are you going to have enough solar PV to still be net zero? Or are you going to have an easy way to add that capacity? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I want, you know, we use the term solar ready, obviously, when we're like prepping a home for solar new construction or whatever and getting making sure the infrastructure's in. Have you coined a term yet for that? No, I think your brother has coined a term which he says target zero. So maybe you're not going straight to net zero, but your long term target is 
yeah. you know, zero. What about options for those people who don't have the solar resource, whether they live in the, in the shade of a large hill or, you know, there, there are places in town here like tucked up against Mount Jumbo where mm-hmm. they don't get the sun until afternoon. Yeah. You know, one of the best kind of mechanisms we're seeing out there in the industry for those folks is called community solar. Mm-hmm. I think personally, I think it's just a really cool way to go about it. Um, and what that is, is typically like a larger utility type scale project, typically like a big ground mount system on, on, on some property. It might be utilities property, it might be um, municipality property, um, it might be public property, something like that where you're able to build out a large a large ground-mounted solar array, and then people buy in to those, right? They literally purchase six panels out of that system, um, six solar panels, six modules, and then that gets credited on their bill, right? So for people who are maybe in that situation and served by a utility that's, that would cooperate, what's, what's the first step? For... Well, first step is kind of whether or not they have an active community solar project going on or not and so because kind of the way those typically work is the the and here in Montana there were electric co-ops going to kind of start a little bit of a campaign right and get people to invest and and so they're kind of selling shares into the community solar project and then at some point it's going to sell out because they only have you know so many solar panels to sell right um, or maybe they're going to still do the project without having it all sold, assuming that they're going to sell all those shares once it's built or whatever. So find out if there's something. Yeah, find out if there's something. Yep, find out if there's an active program. If not, then, you know, the cool thing about Royal Electric Co-ops is you're a member, right? Um, Owner member, essentially. And so you, you can call, you know, you can be very active and you can influence much easier than you can with an investor-owned utility that has to go through the Public Service Commission for any regulatory actions like that. And so I would encourage people to just call them, chat with them, say, hey, are you, you know, do you have plans for a community solar project, you know, or, um, and you get enough members to be calling them, right? And they're going to be like, hmm, well, it seems like there's, you know, interest, maybe we should look at this, so... I think that's the power you have as a, as a co-op member. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So on the financial side of people looking into solar, what uh, what can you tell us about approximate cost? Maybe we'll take an average system size for, you know, a basic suburban smallish house that someone's trying to go all electric. What kind of range of system size, range of costs? Tell us about the incentives and everything involved with the, the money side of that. Sure. Yeah, I'd say maybe without going too much into the kind of all-electric side of things, um, just talking like traditionally here in Montana, what, you know, kind of the average residential system might cost, you know, maybe between twenty to 25000 and maybe have about a 12-year return on that investment. I guess those are very base numbers. But, you know, the things that are going to impact the, like, return on investment is going to be, like, you know, how optimized or how efficient are their panels based on orientation and any shading and, you know, so there's, so it's still, it's always going to be a very site-specific discussion or analysis. And that's, you know, the solar companies these days do a great job, though, breaking that down for people, right? So when they, when you call them and 
you know, they start their process. They might, they might actually do a lot of that just remote these days because there's great software to be able to lay out the panels on your roof. And, and, you know, we often get people initial proposals without visiting the site, right? Just because, you know, just give them some information, see if it's viable for them as a starting point, and then, you know, come visit the site um, if, if it progresses from there, right? Um, and then that's where you're going to kind of dial that in. So you're going to dial in, you know, what that system is going to produce for you in comparison to your usage, whether it's, you know, from 0% to 100% offset. Um, and then, you know, you're going to get an installed cost and it's going to give you all a breakdown of, of the return on your investment and all the incentives. You know, the primary incentives right now for residential is the um, tax credit, federal tax credit at 30%. Yeah. If it is a fifteen thousand dollars system and you're and you're got a five thousand um, dollar tax credit, um, that's literally money in your pocket. It just you know it doesn't it comes to you during your next filing, right? Tax yeah. filing. So yeah, and it's a non-refundable tax credit, although you can carry it over. So if yeah. if the credit is more than your tax burden, you don't get a refund for that money, but you can use it yeah. the following year. Yeah. So when you said that uh, an average system costs of twenty to twenty five thousand dollars in twelve years to get that back in energy savings, uh, two questions there: Does that factor in the thirty percent federal tax credit so that this yes. system could okay? It so that your actual outlay is is really more like fifteen thousand dollars, and you'll get that back in energy savings yeah. in about twelve years. Yeah, and one thing I think to mention to people at the current state of the industry is we're not actually at the at the lowest point for or the the best return on investment that we've historically been for solar on homes that was a couple years ago you know because what's happened is it's just a lot of material costs have kind of driven back up including the solar panel prices themselves which is a big factor in the overall price right of, of a project and so you'll still see a lot of like stuff in the media like it's you know solar's never been this cheap and that's unfortunately not true it, but the tax incentives have also increased over the last couple of years because they were they were set to yeah. kind of phase down and, and phase out and do you think that's a trend have we seen the lowest cost solar and we're, we're uh, no i don't think so you know I, th I think that it's just been there's been a lot going on in the world you know <laughs> as we all know over the last couple of years and um, you know, COVID was a big disruptor in, in supply chains and shipping. And, um, and so I think, I think we're going to come out of it. And I, I think that, um, you know, what's happening here in the U.S. right now with the Inflation Reduction Act is really going to push forward U.S.-based manufacturing um, and hopefully at a really cost-competitive level. And, um, and so there, there's a lot going on with incentives right now. I don't know how, you know, the, we want to dive too deep into it. Yeah, and we're going to do them, a, another podcast episode on um, basically the Inflation Reduction Act okay. and how that oh, impacts that's all these incentives. Yeah, that's great. And talking incentives, too, it's also important for people to realize that really the, the really critical foundational incentive that we have for solar on our homes is net metering, right? Like, without that, you know, and this happens in Montana every legislative session, someone is trying to get rid of net metering as it currently stands, which is a one-to-one -one credit, true up on an annual basis, right? And what often you see is people wanting to reduce that value of the of solar. So right now at the retail value, it's over three, 13 cents per kilowatt hour. What, 
you'll often see in proposed bills is cutting it down to that avoided cost or somewhere in there, right? Mm -hmm. And if that happens, who, you know, who cares about the federal tax credit because like the, the financial, uh, you know, numbers are going to look really pretty grim. Um, Solar has its enemies for, uh, for reasons that are not rational at all, but there are people out there who want to hurt the solar industry and yeah. the, uh, the Montana legislature is one of the places they gather. Yeah, which is really interesting because it's, it's, it has such wide public support across both aisles and yeah. all spectrums of, you know, day-to-day life of, you know, people. And, and so it's from a public perspective, people are very much in favor of it, no matter your background or whatever, you know, political views you have. Um, but there's those forces, obviously, always, you know, and economic forces. And, you know, I mean, Montana, you know, we're just, we are a traditional extraction state, and these technologies are kind of, they're new and they're different, and they're, they're out of sync a little bit with how we've traditionally done things, and that's, that's fine. That's, yeah, that's, that's how things emerge, and that's how it goes. And, you know, but in my mind, I just always look at solar as an unstoppable force. And that's, that's how I perceived it, and that's what I've seen in the industry. I mean, it's, it's been recession-proof. It's been um, legislative-proof so far. Like, people want it. We need it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, the mindset that, that wants to hurt the solar industry is this mindset that I, I think was rational at one time, that these new technologies are going to hurt the old technologies, hurt the economy, the more we learn about how this is going to play out, if we electrify and green the grid, and it's going to help basically everybody in the economy. It's going to be cheaper energy. It's going to be cleaner, uh, less ancillary negative impacts on our health and our environment. And it's just actually a win-win, but that has not gotten through to the, the people who still have quite a bit of political power in these in some places. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, jumping back to costs and return on investment, um, we so we talked about a $15,000 system, more or less, with a payback time of 12 years in energy savings. How long is that system gonna last and produce? What, do, what can people expect there? Yeah, well, we, we primarily base that assumption because there's an assumption right we, we primarily base it off of um you know you the solar panels come with a minimum 25 year warranty and, and they're the kind of core component right mm -hmm. um and so and really you know they the and they've gotten better and better they really as with anything that sits in the sun they have a degradation to them right so every year they're going to roughly lose about 0.5 percent of their potential production energy production right um, and so over time, they're, they're slowly producing less and less, right? Um, but doesn't mean at year 25, they're just going to say, oh, I'm done, shutting down, right? No, at like, year 25, they're still producing yeah, 88% of what they were, this, right? this photovoltaic technology that we're working with has been around for over 100 years, you know? I mean, it's, it's an old, mature technology at this point. There might be some costs you got to put into it over that 25 years, but... Um, Overall, those solar panels are likely going to just be doing their things. And at that point, you know, 25 years, still close to 90% of their original output rating. So it's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. And especially when you think at that point they've been paid for for more than 12 years. You've that, been getting yeah. genuinely free. Yeah. And, you know, one, one thing I also like to 
kind of bring up in the return on investment thing because we can get really caught up on that and um you know there's a lot of things we buy that have no return on investment right and, and one thing i really like to remind people of is as a technology you know these solar panels themselves obviously there's a fair amount of energy that goes into them right we have to produce this raw silicon which yeah. takes a, a ton of electricity to do because it's, it's a big energy input to make a solar panel right yeah we've um, talked about embodied carbon oh you good have yeah, elsewhere yeah. on the podcast yeah so you know we're typically in the range of a solar panel is two years sitting out in the sun and it's and it's recouped that like what are we making that does that not a lot of things right? uh i wanted to jump back to batteries for a minute because that'll be a big question that people have you know should i buy batteries um you know on our house it was pretty clear to us that it wasn't worth doubling the cost of the system to have a, a small amount of battery storage but i think a lot of people are interested in what what advantages are there to home batteries one for the homeowner and then after that we'll, we'll talk about kind of how that's shaping up in terms of the grid overall yeah yeah here in montana the really the only real value proposition to adding batteries energy storage to your solar photovoltaic system is to have power when the grid goes down um, in other places and other utilities there might be other value propositions because of the way they bill you you and you know you might be able to kind of manage your energy behind the meter a little bit more and and use your battery system when the energy from the utility is really expensive and and you know just kind of do some some creative things there um, but that's just not something we have here in Montana, you know, it's not not on that building structure, and then the, you know, there's even some kind of just technical um, limitations to how you can manage that system with the utility in terms of charging your battery system from the from the utility and things like that. So, so that's really the value proposition here in Montana. I think that um, you know the interest is is greatly increased, and the technology has gotten a lot better. Um, you know, we primarily install a Tesla Powerwall product, mm-hmm. um, and you know, we we have a varying kind of spectrum of folks that come to us and and for that product, and some of them are just big fans and want to be early adopters. Honestly, you know, and it's not necessarily that they have like a real specific need to have backup power. They don't have a home office with sensitive electronics that they really need to yeah, protect. And yeah, because there are some very specific needs. You know, say like a, a sump pump in a basement is a, is a good example. You know, like if, if a sump pump doesn't have power, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the spring, grid outage, then that could be trouble for people. So there's, or just water source in itself. And, you know, me coming from off-grid background, like I get it. Like I love that self-sufficiency side of things. Like I love that knowing that like I can do it on my own if the utility company doesn't have power who cares I got my own you know that kind of attitude right. so you know there's I respect that and we have a number of people that, that that have that view and hey sure that's you know we we have a good product for you you know so if you want to do that let's do it we just always remind people that that is what it's bringing to the table it's just that backup power you know for you um, and that could change, you know, I mean, Northwestern or any other utilities, Montana might move towards something time of use or, and I think the utilities are becoming very interested in yeah, it's deploying really... energy storage, you know, themselves. And so Northwestern has been talking about a pilot project to do some of that for quite a while now. It hasn't come to fruition, but I think they're still working on it. 
Yeah. It's, it's starting to happen in other places. And, and one of the distinctions people should realize going in when they consider the battery question is it, for most homeowners, it's going to be an expensive luxury yeah. that, that would only really give you any benefit during a power outage. And even then, it can't power your whole house for, for any length of time. But what the utilities are starting to realize um, is like we've complained a little bit <laughs> over the course of this conversation about our, our primary utility in Montana, Northwestern Energy. They really view solar as an annoyance, as an inconsistent contributor to the grid that is just going to complicate their lives and make the, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, but that, and that's my and, impression. And, and honestly, there's some truth to that. Like that's not, sure, I, yeah. sure, yeah. You, you can't have too much of your grid power coming from a, a resource that only works when the sun shines. But what utilities are starting to find is that home solar coupled with batteries is actually a real asset to the grid. It it's, is a little useful generating station for them and they can coordinate those and draw power when they need it. So some utilities are actually starting to if not pay the full cost, at least contribute or give some incentives for homeowners to uh, to install batteries in their system. Mm-hmm. And we should mention that the, the Inflation Reduction Act has a 30% credit for batteries, uh, which is totally new. The, the 30% credit for solar has been in place at varying levels for a long time. Yep, and that's, yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up, because that, and that can be just for a standalone battery system. You don't even have to have yeah, exactly. a, a Where computer. It, the, you did, generation. you were able to claim 30% on it previously, but you had, it had to be integrated in with, with solar. But now with the Inflation Reduction Act, it can be a standalone system, oh, as far okay. as I understand it. Okay. Don't, maybe don't quote me on that, because I'm still, we're still waiting through all the Inflation Reduction Act details, but I'm pretty sure that's the, that's the case now. So I guess my other practical question on that score is, given that the trend might be towards batteries with home systems, how hard is it if you install your PV array now, grid-type PV array, to add batteries to it later when that starts to make more sense economically. Yeah, it's a lot easier than it used to be from a technology standpoint. Um, you still, there's still some, you still want to put some thought into it, particularly in terms of the inverter selection, because we, there's, there's kind of different inverter um, topo- topographies, we've called them. The newest kind of style inverter is called a hybrid inverter, which cannot act bidirectionally, so it can actually, you know, take from the AC side and charge to the DC side, whereas just a typical grid interactive inverter for uh, a basic grid tied system can only work one way. It's just it's just converting the DC electricity to AC. So by being able to go bi-directional as a hybrid inverter, now you can add, you can have batteries. And so that's why they've kind of, kind of advanced that technology because you can put in a hybrid inverter with just solar and add batteries later. Yeah. Or you can put in a hybrid inverter, which is batteries, and add solar later. You know, so there's some more flexibility there. Um, and you know, even pretty much any system that goes in these days, we could find a way to add batteries down the road. It just might be more costly compared to like like a hybrid inverter. So that's kind of what we're leaning towards. So there's there's always going to be a solution there. But I think when we have people come to us and there's they're bring that up from the start 
then it very well might steer the products that we choose for them. Okay. So in the same way, people might want to plan to upsize their system later when they get yeah. an electric car or electrify everything in their house. Yeah. Um, do they need to ask specifically for a hybrid inverter, or is that mostly well, what you're installing? Yeah, I think it's more like we just need to cue into that they have an interest in adding energy storage, and then that will come up. You know, like yeah. they, they shouldn't have to ask for it per se, right? They, they need to just communicate. It goes back to like them expressing their goals to us. If one of those goals is, well, we want to hit 100%, and then we think about five years down the road, we'd like to add energy storage, right? That's that's like a goal. Right? Then that will affect. What then you that's going to affect what we how we design their system and and what we choose to to install for them. Yeah, so that they're better set up in the future. I mean, one big thing that's really coming into play is this vehicle to grid thing. You know, and I don't know if we want to cover that today at all. But I, yeah, we can definitely talk about. Yeah, so. we've already had a couple of clients um, integrate the the infrastructure for the Ford F one fifty Lightning as a backup power source in their home. Okay. So it's happening. Um, and that's, that's a very interesting thing, you know, because, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? Obviously, if you're investing in that, that, that vehicle, you know, and it's, it's primarily acting as your transportation, but it has this ability to, to provide backup power to your home. Hey, that's great. You, know, yeah. you, don't, need, you don't need an additional battery system because the reality of these home battery systems too, energy storage systems in a, in a solar grid tie application is, I mean, think about your house, how many power outages have you had, you know, on, on an annual basis or whatever and how long they last. Like the bulk of the time that... It's that, five minutes. Yeah. So the bulk of that, that investment into that lithium ion battery bank and all that resources that went into it, most of the time it's spending its life just kind of twiddling its thumbs waiting for something to happen right right when it could be powering your car it could yeah it could be it could be out there in the world getting work done right and so i i really appreciate that concept i think that it it definitely has still a little ways to go um you know it's definitely causing some ripples and just like code enforcement you know and there's you know in a place like montana like that often it's we're constantly dealing with education and advancement on the permitting side of things. So you're actually educating not homeowners, but code officials? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure. And it's it's just just like there's a lot of work that goes into that. And for us, I would say at least in our market in Bozeman, we're definitely like we install more home-based energy storage systems than any of our, any, any of the other solar companies in the area. So we're, that means we're sending more permits you know, through the city of Bozeman than anyone else for energy storage systems, right. which means that we're getting, you know, things, we're seeing things first, and so we have to react to them, you know, when it's, you know, coaching just happened and the, and the AHJs, tap, you know, tune into that and they come back to us and say, oh, well, you know, because we're seeing things like now we need, like, ballards in a garage to keep people from driving into the energy storage system. You know, these things kind of are always moving in the National Electric Code, right? Um, and so the vehicle thing is, yeah, that's just adding another curveball. Yeah. It's funny, though, I was joking the other day that, like, yeah, we're, you know, this came up that we needed these, like, concrete ballards to protect this this Tesla Powerwall in a garage, right? And meanwhile, people are heading out in the world going 80 miles per hour. With the same battery. Driving on under top their hood, of, yeah. you know, yeah. like a battery bank that's four times as big. It's just, I had to laugh a little bit, like, 
yeah, we're, we're protecting this battery from a giant battery running into it. <laughs> Anyways, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's always like, as these technologies emerge, you know, there's, they're often going to be ahead of the code enforcement or vice versa. Sometimes code enforcement is ahead of what that's actually out there available for technology to right. meet the code. And that's just always going to be the case. It's not anyone's fault. It's just kind of the way. Yeah. Has it ever come to the point where an inspector comes in and puts a red tag on a battery system and says, no, you can't use this until... until oh, it's always just like there's, you know, we have to address one thing or another and, you know, we take care of it and, you know, they'll green tag it eventually, right? But yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the other thing that at least I've seen going on in certain places, places with peak energy rates... Um, you know, time of use metering where they pay more during the peak hours and the vehicle to grid technology, which V2G, is that what people are calling it? V2G, where your your car is plugged into a charger, but it's not necessarily charging. Sometimes it's sending power back to your house. It can help you save money by feeding power into your house when electricity is expensive. And then typically overnight it charges up and you're ready in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and, you know, maybe we're moving into some of the, the future trends here in the discussion. Um, yeah, vehicle to grid and smart meters and smart homes where everything is coordinated. Are some, how much of that are you guys dealing with now and how much do you think you're going to be dealing with in the future? Yeah, well, like I say, you know, we're seeing a couple of these F-150 kind of projects starting to to get um, put in place and then you know you know with Northwestern's recent advanced metering campaign project I think that opens up more doors for them from the utility perspective because, because it, yeah when I mean, you just th- think about like I think the big hurdle often to get over on a lot of this stuff is just the communications among it all right like like how do you the controls and communication you know like if the, if the utility company is actually going to like use a swath of, of residential battery systems to, you know, benefit the grid. Well, obviously they got to be talking to each other. That's, that's like, man, that's a big task in itself. And with utility companies, just things move a little slower. And, um, so yeah, we're going to see that stuff. It just takes time, you know? Um, but I think it's, it starts with like now that Northwestern energy has advanced metering, in place, I think that opens up some doors for them, right? Whereas without that, they just they don't they didn't have any foundation to work off of. So we are seeing all that stuff, and, and you know, at least the like the beginnings of it, right? The like the interest, because that's where it starts for us. Often, it's just like people are asking. People start asking. That's where it starts, right? And then we're we're either like, well, that's available commercially available and we can go buy it and provide it to you or it's not yet you know like we'll i'll have people send me all kinds of stuff that i'm like yeah that looks really cool but could i go buy that right now if not i can't spend time on it you know like or can i get it past the code authorities can i get past code authorities um you know one cool thing that we're kind of getting into is these um like smart electric panels that are we're using in those energy storage situations to control loads so that you can optimize your your backup power situation right yeah so you can control and shut off larger loads when you're in that backup mode and there's there's that's pretty fun for us because it's kind of right you know right in our real house of um, what we're already doing and it's just kind of the next level advancement for 
solar energy storage and load management, yeah. right? And so uh, smart panels are on the market right now. Yep. Are you pushing people that way when it comes to upgrading a panel? When, when we're looking, um, primarily comes into play when we are looking at an energy storage system, backup power, you know, like we're not necessarily just, if, if they're just doing straight grid tie system, you know, we're not necessarily probably pushing that. Um, you know, we, anymore we do do a lot more service upgrades. And the reason being is that like the size of these systems has just gotten bigger and bigger, you know, like, so we're, we're putting, you know, 20 KW, 30 KW systems on people's homes pretty regularly these days. And what does that need in the panel in terms of how many spaces? Yeah, so often it's going to it's gonna need probably some sort of upgrade to a larger panel or, you know, just to meet code requirements of interconnecting, you know, and, and amperage ratings and, you know, all these kind of uh, nuances of, yeah. you know, code requirements. And so that's just something that's coming into play more whereas in the past you know the size of systems often allowed us to just kind of interconnect without major service upgrades on the home but i would like to see i would like to see just the general electrical industry start to think about it more right because yeah if you're already like if it's new construction why and not? you're putting in a panel board why not set it up for something that's quote-unquote smarter for to to be able to manage the technologies that are going to come into play down the road, you know, or be able to. So it's just with anything, you know, it's getting a whole industry to kind of shift and move, you know, like, yeah, it takes time, you know, and it has to be demanded by the consumers. Once again, it's really the consumers that need to ask for it, you know, or that you just have progressive engineering firms, you know, that are designing the homes and just, just, it's a standard or, you know, there has to be some people driving it yeah. from one place or another. And if you were to pick the most important things you'd like to see being driven by either consumers or designers in the industry, what what's coming at us that you think is good and is going to stick around? Yeah, well, code requirements for making homes solar ready, new construction, I think is a, is a good one. There's just a good cost savings there if you, that can get integrated from the start and, and it's a motivator for people to look more seriously about solar if they're buying a home and they know and it, you know it's already coming to them as quote unquote solar ready yeah I mean what's coming I guess is just in general always this increase in efficiency of, of solar panels I mean it's, it's definitely plateaued to a certain degree but like I, I'm always kind of thinking there's any technology that might just kind of break the doors open a little bit too there you know um, I mean there's there's just a lot of research going into same with the energy storage side of things right like we're currently have transitioned to lithium ion pretty much right lead acid is kind of pretty much in the rear view for the most part <laughs> except for some we wish except for one particular project that <laughs> right. helping me with right so but you know in general like there that but lithium ion is going to have a certain kind of lifespan to it until the next better thing comes along right and so that that's just exciting always exciting for me to think about and I, I look at solar I look at wind you know I look at these technologies as our best options that are in front of us right now on a day-to-day -day basis what we're just doing is looking at what's you know we just stay in tune by going to trade shows and you know webinars and just like knowing what's out there for technology and what's what's best for our clients right 
What do you think about adoption when you look at the, especially home solar generation? What, what do you think is market saturation for, I mean, what is it, 5% now? Nationwide, maybe home yeah, okay. solar PV. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the current number. That sounds. That I sounds, think I read five percent yeah. recently, but I have no idea how far that can go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a limit, right? Just in terms of like even like viable spaces, and then just just the economics of it, right? It's still only available to a segment of our population, right? And so I'd like to see that change. There's. There's definitely seems like some good stuff in the Inflation Reduction Act that's specific to lower income housing. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, but once again, a lot of that stuff is probably going to be applied on the new construction end of things, you know, rather than the retrofit. So you're probably going to see, um, you know, folks like Habitat for Humanity just have having more availability, more resources to do solar on all their homes. That's, I think, what we're going to see yeah. at Inflation Reduction Act, which is great. I just, you know, it's harder to address existing population or renters right um you know people who don't own their home getting solar on those that's a complicated thing yeah. so that's always going to be a major barrier is the rental market um, for solar and there's also a limit as to how much small-scale generation works for the grid as a whole yeah um, I, I think there's one study out that estimated that if battery storage is incorporated, you know, seven times what we have now will lead us to the, the most efficient grid. Hmm. Um, okay. And that's, that's coordinated with the big solar farms, the big wind farms, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So a place like Montana too is like, we're, we're lower than the national average. We're starting average. out lower than the national average. So we have a ton of potential still, like just decades and decades of solar installations ahead of us. Yeah, certainly at the at the pace we're going now. Yeah, at the pace we're going now. Do you think it could grow? Oh, yeah. On pace? I mean, businesses like yours, are you seeing new? Do you have new competitors or is everybody getting bigger? Yeah, like I said, the new competitors we're seeing are these out-of-state companies that uh-huh. come in and they, they kind of like door knock and then if they get enough sales, then they'll set up an install crew and, you know... Um, so it's, it's just a different, wholly different thing. But yeah, we're seeing that for sure. Yeah, it's happening. You know, we haven't seen it at all until about a year or two ago. So, Okay, so in summary for, for the homeowner, Ryan, what would you give them your two-minute takeaway of these are the things you should think about before you call a solar installer? And, and if there's a phase two, these are the things you're going to want to talk to them, that solar installer with once you've chosen them. Sure. Yeah, well, when you're calling a solar installer, you're, you're typically thinking, you know, what can solar do for me in terms of my utility bill, right? That's, or my energy usage. And so the things you need to be thinking about is, well, what is my energy usage and can I reduce it ahead of the solar? Because that'll make the solar more um, cost effective. And then um, what are my overall goals? And that gets into things like, yeah, do you want to hit 100%? Um, are you just... Do you just have a budget you're, you're working with and then that's going to steer the design? Um, do you want to have a bigger solar array than your neighbors? Yeah, do you want to have a bigger <laughs> solar array than your neighbors, of course. And then, That was ours. But... Yeah. And the energy storage, is that something that's that's very important to you or not? And, you know, that might take a little bit more discussion with this with solar companies to kind of for you to determine that because you might have a certain view of that and, and um, it'd probably be good to get some feedback on that from solar companies on 
if, if that's in alignment with kind of the realities out there for, for that technology, having energy storage added to the system. Um, you know, be prepared to need to go back and forth with the solar company on some technical aspects in terms of where the solar panels might be located and, and maybe even things like um, the need for service upgrade um, and, um, you know, the age of your roof. Is your roof going to need to be yeah, replaced yeah, before, you know, before you put solar on? So just, just be prepared that, you know, there's going to be a number of discussions about the technical integration of the system into your home. And then also, you know, think about how long you're going to be living in the home. And, and if it's, you know, if it's only going to be a couple of years, then you might want to consider saving your money and putting it on your next home. I think those, you know, cover the main things. So, Ryan, thanks for talking with us. This has been great. And I think we'll, uh, we'll help a lot of people move closer to uh, giving you or some other solar installer a call. So, yeah, thanks, Rick. This is exciting. I think the... Electrification is just it's currently the path forward, and it's going to be exciting to see see what happens. So, yeah, thanks for the time. All right, see you on the rooftops. All right. Breaking the Carbon Bond is written and produced by volunteers with in-kind support from Climate Smart Missoula, the little nonprofit that punches above its weight. Useful links and further information about the clean energy transition can be found at MissoulaClimate.org. We are always ad-free, but if your other podcasts have so conditioned you to having your attention monetized that you just can't live without it, you can relieve that urge via the Donate button on that website, which again is MissoulaClimate.org. The views expressed here are those of the participants alone and should be taken as opinions, not as advice or instructions. And be aware that home remodeling can be dangerous and podcasts, how-to videos, and the like are no substitute for professional guidance, good safety practices, and sound judgment.